And welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 166. Today we'll be starting in Hosea as we finished up the book of Daniel yesterday. First, just a preview introduction to the book of Hosea. Uh, it was authored roughly in 700-ish B.C. In, in that time frame. And so we're roughly um, 300 years before Daniel. And so we were in Daniel, we were in around you know 500 B.C., 450 B.C.-ish in that time frame. So we're going to rewind the clock and go back about 300, 350 years uh, in the time of Hosea. Uh, the events that are written about take place roughly 750-ish B.C., you know, to 700 B.C. in that time frame, in the time of Jeroboam, King Jeroboam of Israel, through King Hezekiah of Judah. So we're in that time frame. Again, we're going back from where we were in Daniel. Um, <clears throat> Hosea mainly ministered to the prosperous northern kingdom. Okay, and so at this time, Israel was relatively prosperous. They were expanding. Uh, Assyria was kind of weak at this time. Uh, later on, uh, as Israel became involved in treacherous behavior at the royal level and experienced several different kings in a short period of time, Israel was weakened, the northern kingdom was weakened, and Assyria had strengthened itself, and God used Assyria in order to conquer the northern kingdom later on. But anyway, um, uh, and the book is analogous to an adulterous uh, marriage relationship. And so God is using uh, Hosea uh, to analogize his relationship with his children, with his people. He's using Hosea's ministry and his life in order to illustrate that. And so with that as an introduction, let's get started into the book of Hosea. In uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, And the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, uh, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and of Jeroboam, son of Johash, king of Israel. The section title says, Hosea's Marriage and Children. It says, When the Lord spoke to Hosea, he said this to him. What did he say to him? This is, this is wild. He said, <laughs> Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. For the land is uh, committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So the Lord is telling Hosea to go marry a woman of ill repute. You know, go uh, marry a woman who is, who is known to, to sleep around, who is known to be loose, who is known to maybe even be a prostitute. <laughs> he said, go marry such a woman and have children with that woman. Can you imagine that? The Lord is instructing, in fact, commanding Hosea to do this. Why? For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. And so <laughs> the Lord is saying, look, my people are doing this with me. So I want you to go do this to illustrate before them what they're doing to me. Now, God gives us free will. So Hosea had free will in order to not obey the commandment from the Lord. But he did. Would I have done so? Would you have done so? I don't know. <laughs> it says, so he went and married Gomer, <laughs> daughter. <laughs> so he went and married Gomer. You know, just a, a woman named Gomer. Right? Just for, for those in the, uh, who are old enough in the United States, 
there was a you know Gomer Pyle was a was a character back in the TV show, and that's what I keep thinking about. But anyway, um, it says, "Go and marry Gomer, and she conceived and bore him a son." Then the Lord said to him, "Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel." And so they had a son. And they named him Jezreel, and he was prophetic. The name was prophetic because the Lord was uh, what he was planning to do uh, to Israel. Verse 6, it says, She conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Loruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away. Now what's interesting here is we don't know whether Loruhamah was uh, Hosea's daughter. It does not indicate whether Gomer got impregnated by Hosea with this daughter. Uh, some commentaries and some scholars believe that uh, in some translations it's indicated that she wasn't his daughter. Now it's interesting because the word says, uh, it says, have, have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity. Um, Oh, it says, uh, go marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the Lord intended for uh, Gomer and Hosea to have children of their own, but also that she would have children not from him? I don't know. So, so she conceived again. And then it says in verse 8, after Gomer had winged uh, lo low. Uh, Ruhama, <laughs> why can't I say the name? Uh, Lo Ruhama, she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said, Name him Lo Ami. Lo, I am having difficulty with these names. Uh, name him Lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So they had another child. The word does not indicate again whether this is actually Hosea's son. We know it's Gomer's son, but we don't know if it's Hosea's son. And so they have a daughter and a son. Excuse me, they have two sons and a daughter. Son, daughter, son. In chapter 2, it says Israel's adultery rebuked. Rebu re Come on, Mike. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. So the word says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her. This is referring to Israel's leadership, the northern kingdom's, kingdom's leadership. The Lord is saying through uh, uh, Hosea, rebuke your mother, rebuke your mother. Rebuke the leadership, for she is not my, my wife, for I am not married to these dudes who are leading you. You see, it says, let her, because they're promiscuous. They're involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in. You know, just look at their face. Look at how they behave. You know, they, they essentially come naked before their lovers to give themselves over to them. You know, and the Lord is saying, I'm not down for that. In verse four, I will have no compassion on her children being on you, Israel. I will have no compassion on you because they, your leaders, are the children of promiscuity. He says, I'm not going to have any, 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 any compassion on the children because the parents are misbehaving. <clears throat> Verse 5, yes, their mother is promiscuous 
promiscuous. Uh, she conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who gave me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. So she says, yeah, I'm going to mess around with my lovers because they give me stuff. They give me food. They give me water. They give me flax, oil and drink. So, yeah. So what is that? You know, when you're when you're messing around with people in intimate relationships for the exchange of stuff, that's called prostitution. And so she says, yeah, I'm a prostitute myself because I'm getting stuff. Then in verse six, it says, therefore, this is what I will do. I will block her with the thorns. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so she cannot find her path. And so this is the Lord saying, "Okay, you're going to do this. He's going to say, "Okay, I'm going to block your way with thorns. Then I will enclose you within a wall so that you cannot find your path. In verse seven, it says she will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. Her her pursuit is going to be futile because, you know, her lovers are going to use her and and, and then they're going to abandon her. And she can't find them. It says she will look for them, but not find them. Then it says, then she will think, this is key, then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then I was better, uh, for then, for then it was better for me than now. She see? So she's saying, look, I'm going to go back to my former, this isn't working. You know, I've been messing around with, with my lover. We've been having fun. I've been getting stuff, but now I can't find them. You know, he used and abused me, and now he's gone somewhere else. Oh, I'm going to go back to my husband. It was better for me when I was with my husband, so let me go back to my husband. In verse 8, it says, She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. And so the Lord is saying, look, she doesn't understand that she was attributing these gifts and, and these things that she was getting from her lover, but they were from me. See, they were from me. They weren't from her lover. They were from her husband. And it says, I lavished silver and gold on her, which she used for bail. So I lavished jewelry on her, and she used that uh, in, 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 in the pursuit and worship of somebody else. I gave her this stuff, and then she didn't even recognize it was from me and used it to pursue her other lovers. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. I will take away my wool and linen, um, which were to cover her nakedness. So I gave her this stuff. She thought it was from her lover. She started pursuing her lover. She started being intimate with her lover. Okay, I'm taking my stuff back. (laughs) I'm taking it all back. In verse 12, it says, I will devastate her vines and fig trees. She thinks that these are her wages from her lovers, uh, th- that her lovers have given her. I'm going to take away my, fi- f- uh, my vines and fig trees because, again, she's thinking uh, this is from her lovers and it's from me. And so, no. And it says, I will turn them into a thicket and the wild animals will eat them. So all the good things I gave her. They're going to be transformed into something abhorrent that she is going to be injured by. And it says she put on her rings and jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. This is the declaration of the Lord. Section says Israel's adultery forgiven. So they did all of that. The Lord has pointed out everything that she had done. Now let's let's witness his compassion. It says in verse 14, therefore, 
I am going to pursue her, lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So again, we're analogizing this to a marriage. So imagine a husband whose wife has gone off astray, but he has, he's, he's, he loves her. And so he's still going to be tender towards her. He's still going to extend grace and mercy towards her because he loves her. Some might call that man a fool. See, others would see the depth of his love. Then in verse 15, it says, There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Acre um, into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth. See, there she will, she will go back to when she was in love with me. And she will respond in that way. Hmm. As in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. And so he's saying she will go back to how she, because remember when they came, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, there was shouting, hollering, screaming, partying, uh, good times, uh, recognition of the Lord, thanksgiving towards the Lord, loving of the Lord, all of that. He had rescued them out of their captivity. And so they were filled with, with just um, praise and, and worship and honor of the Lord. But they lost it. But he says, you know, this is what I'm going to do for, uh, for her. And she's going to return to those days. She's going to remember those days. It says in verse 16, in that day, this is the Lord's de- declaration. You will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. And so in that day, you will recognize me as your husband and you will forget your foreign lovers. <clears throat> verse 18, it says on that day. I will make a covenant for them with wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter bow, I will shatter bow, sword, and weapons of war in the land, and will enable the people to rest securely. So the Lord saying is in that day when she returns to me, things are gonna change. She's gonna return to me. I'm gonna recognize her as my wife. She's gonna recognize me as her husband and I'm going to keep her safe and secure and away from all dangerous things. So let's move on to chapter three. And the word says, waiting for restoration. Now, this is a key verse to the entire book of Hosea. If you could boil it down, you could probably boil it down in this verse. And it says this, Then the Lord said to me, go ahead, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So this is the Lord talking to Hosea. He's saying, go again, not go ahead. He said, go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. The Lord is telling Hosea to go find that woman. Something happened to Gomer. We don't, we don't know if she left him. Or if she, uh, we, we don't know how, but she's not, with, she's not with Hosea at this point in time. So the Lord is telling Hosea to go get, get this woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. See? So the Lord is telling Hosea, I want you to illustrate before the Israelites what they're doing to me. So I'm going to send you to go and get that wayward wife of yours who is now another man's and she is an adulteress. You know, so apparently this is well known. (laughs) And so in verse two, 
it says, so I bought her. So I don't know if she sold herself into slavery or if, if she was just with another man, laid up with another guy, and he was taking care of her. I don't know what the deal is, but the word says in verse 2, so I, Hosea, bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. Now, apparently, this wasn't that much money, you know, (laughs) so he bought her back for not very much money, which reveals to us her value at that time wasn't very high. And again, this is the Lord sending Hosea to retrieve her. Then it says in verse 3, I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous uh, or belong to any man, and I will act the same way towards you. Wow. So, so I say, Jose has gone to retrieve her. He brings her back and he tells her, okay, your days of waywardness are over. You know, this isn't happening anymore, and th- I'm laying down the law. This is the situation, and I'm going to be loyal to you. You know, now apparently I believe this is the last we hear of Gomer in the book, but her, her character or her, 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 um, yeah, her character and integrity and nature has been put out there. So we understand where God is coming from as he's drawing this analogy. It says in verse three, for the Israelites must live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or a sacred pillar and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe uh, to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And so <clears throat> essentially what's being said here is that, um, uh, you know, like Gomer is not to live with any other man anymore, pursue anybody else. It says here's the, here the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, um, without sacrifice, sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. In other words, they will live many days without their foreign gods, without their, their, um, uh, their other lovers, okay? And it says, after this, they will turn and they will seek, uh, they will seek the Lord and seek uh, uh, David, their king. And, and they will uh, be awed by the Lord in those days. In chapter 4, it says God's case against Israel. It says, hear the word of the Lord, uh, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. I got this highlighted here because I think this is a definition or a description, I should say, of current times in the United States. The Lord has a case against us. Why? Because there's no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. We are doing everything possible to distancing ourselves from God. You know, we have political leadership in many cases that is trying to come down against the Word of God. We have people uh, just writing off the Word of God as as fairy tales and myths and stories. You know, we've got people trying to put distance between God's principles and how people behave. You know, we call a certain behavior old-fashioned and, and out of date and out of touch. See, all of this is to distance ourselves from God. And so I believe that the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of this land. It says in verse 2, 
Now let me back up. It says there's no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. It says cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean just physical bloodshed. You know, that, that could mean the bloodshed of integrity, the bloodshed of character, the bloodshed of common decency. In verse four, it said, but let no one dispute, let no one argue for my case is against you priests. Huh? Verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. In other words, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you priests, you guys, you have rejected knowledge. Therefore, I will reject you from serving as my priest. You see, so the Lord is saying, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In other words, you have not done your job in teaching and instilling my ways and my word and my will in my people. That is what you were to do, and you have failed. In fact, you have led them astray. It says in verse 9, the same judgment will happen for both priests and people. In other words, okay, priests, I'm holding this against you. You led my people astray. But people, you're not off the hook. So you don't get placed off the hook. You don't get to say, well, they led me astray. No, because you have a responsibility in your own behavior and your own decision making. And so the Lord is saying uh, the same judgment will happen to both people and priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. It says they will eat, but not be satisfied. They will be promiscuous, but not multiply, for they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. He says, I will punish your daughters when they act promiscuously or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. Oh, let me back up, cheese. It says, I will not punish your daughters when they act promiscuously or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. Why? For the men themselves go off with prostitutes and make sacrifices to cult prostitutes. People without discernment are doomed. So the Lord is saying, look, I'm not going to punish your daughters or daughters-in-law when they go off, when they go astray, because the men, they're doing it too. And they're doing it with the cult prostitutes. They're doing it as an act of worship to foreign gods. These people, they have no discernment. Therefore, they are doomed. Next section says, warnings for Israel and Judah. It says, Israel, if you act promiscuously, don't let Judah become guilty. Don't go to Gilgal or make pilgrimage to Beth Haven and, um, and do not swear an oath as the Lord lives. And so the Lord is saying, look, Israel, don't bring folks down with you. <laughs> you made a decision for yourself, but don't go infecting other people. You're like a virus. Don't go infecting other people. Don't swear an oath as the Lord lives. No, don't do that. Don't do that amongst others. You, you want to take yourselves down? Fine. But don't take other people down with you. Chapter 5. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, Ephraim, you have acted promiscuously. Israel is defiled. Their actions do not allow them to return to their God. What they've been doing, they can't return to me because their actions are so heinous. 
Not until they acknowledge their actions and then repent sincerely can they return to me. But in their present state, they can't. For a spirit of promiscuity is among them, and they do not know the Lord. They do not know me, so they can't come to me. It says in verse 11, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, for he is determined to follow what is worthless. The word says, for he is determined to follow what is worthless. I mean, if that isn't a word for the day, there are people that are determined to follow ways that are not prosperous for their life. They are determined, even in the face of, of evidence to the contrary. They are determined to do so. In verse 14, for I am like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Yes, I will tear them to pieces and depart um, and depart. I will carry them off and no one can rescue them. I will depart and return to my place until they recognize their guilt and seek my face. See, I'm going to turn away from them until they recognize what they're doing and sincerely seek my face, repent and come before me and be sincere in it. Until they do that, mm -mm, I ain't having nothing to do with them. It says they will search for me in their distress. You know, chapter six, a call to repentance. And the word says, come, let's return to the Lord for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revise us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Isn't that interesting? And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. This is an analogy. I don't know if Hosea knew what he was prophesying, but this is an analogy to what Jesus did when he rose on his third day. The Lord's first lament, what am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist and like early dew that vanishes. In other words, you have no staying power. You know, you love me for a second and then it's gone as soon as something else comes along. You see, it says, uh, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, the Lord wants obedience. He doesn't want your gifts. He doesn't want you to give him stuff when we do wrong. He wants our obedience. Our obedience is an expression of our love for him because it's an expression of trusting him. That's what he wants. He doesn't want trinkets and other things. In chapter 7, and we're going to end uh, here today, it, we, we drop down, it says, uh, the Lord's second lament. So that was the first lament. The second lament, verse 13, though I want to redeem them, they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from their hearts. Rather, they wail on their beds. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. I trained and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. And so the Lord is saying, look, I do things for them, but they don't acknowledge me, but for a second. It says they don't cry out for me from their hearts. Everything is for show, you know, and, and the motivation is for these other things, for new wine and grain and whatnot. It's not to know me. See, it's for what I can do for them. And that's where we have to be extremely careful when we're dealing with the Lord. What is our motivation? Do you want him because he is love? because he is faith, because he is honorable, because he is God? Or do we want him for what he can do for us? Ask yourselves that sincerely and give a sincere answer. And with that, we're going to finish for today. We'll pick it up tomorrow in chapter 8 of Hosea. Everybody take, uh, take care, stay safe, and be blessed. Bye-bye.